Hey, everybody. Today is a very special unscripted episode, and I want to unpack and explain how I chose a presidential candidate to support this year. And for me, it's not nearly as important that you choose who I chose. Of course, I'd love that. But I really do want you to choose somebody. Don't allow the media, don't allow special interest groups to choose for you. This election is too important. The stakes are too high. And Donald Trump is too evil and too problematic for any of us to just sit idly by. As you may know, the debates actually begin next month. But the primaries are already fully underway. And I did something this year that I've never done before in my life, and I don't regret it for a moment. I decided to choose a presidential candidate and jump in headfirst into that campaign early. And I'll tell you why I did that and why I'd like for you to consider doing it. Then I'll explain maybe eight or nine factors that I look for in a presidential candidate. Let's dig in together today, all right? This is Sean King, and you are listening to The, the, the Breakdown. This year, I decided to do something that I've never done before. Now, I'm 39 years old, and I've been voting, I think, since 1996. I think that was the first presidential election that I was old enough to vote in. And I've been active and voting in every presidential election ever since then. I've volunteered in most presidential campaigns and have fought hard in all of them, at least since 2000, since I was a college student. And this year, I decided to do something different based on a lot of lessons that I learned in the last presidential election. Now, this may or may not apply to all of you, but I I think it will be insightful. I decided this year to jump in early because what I found is Once the nominees are chosen, or even once you get deep into the primaries, once the primaries began even, and they begin this year in January of of 2020, once the primaries begin, it's really, really difficult to influence a presidential campaign. They are laser-focused on winning state-by-state, primary after primary, and in many ways— They stop being listeners. I don't just mean the presidential candidates, but their teams and their staff. They really stop listening once the primaries begin. I'm not even saying that I blame them because all of a sudden there are 50 different elections all over the country, even more when you begin thinking about D.C. and territories. And, you know, like there are 50 plus elections and they start hard and heavy in January, and then go week after week after week. And the candidates are in, like, just full campaign mode, full vote mode, get-out-the-vote mode. And what you find is it's hard to really influence their policy, their perspective. But there's this window, and we're in the window right now. We're experiencing it right now. There is this window of time in the presidential primaries before the voting begins where candidates are great listeners and they are wildly accessible, available, 
They are easy to reach and connect with. And we're in that window. And right now, each campaign is looking for volunteers. I mean, they're desperate for volunteers. They're desperate for donors. They want help in every city, in every county, in every state. And for the next six months or so, for the rest of 2019, there's this huge window of opportunity, not just for me, but for all of us, to actually be really, really involved in one of the presidential campaigns. And I decided, hey, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. I'm going to choose a candidate. And then I'm going to kind of admit it openly and honestly. And, and I've said this before, even here on the podcast, but every journalist, every writer, every podcast host, they all have a presidential candidate that they prefer. And it comes out, every, and this is every person on mainstream news, on CNN, on MSNBC, every writer for the Washington Post and New York Times, everybody, everybody you know has candidates they prefer and candidates that they dislike. They don't say it out loud, but it comes out in their reporting. And instead of just owning it openly and honestly, and I'm okay with how they choose to do it, but just know them choosing not to tell you who they support doesn't mean it's not coming out in their journalistic decisions. Doesn't mean it's not coming out in their commentary. Doesn't mean it's not coming out in how they cover the races and how they report back on the candidates. I decided, listen, I'm going to put all of my cards on the table so people always know where I'm coming from. But today I want to tell you not just why I chose to do that. I want to tell you kind of my rubric for how I chose a presidential candidate, because in some ways I think you could look at my rubric, you could look at this rubric and choose a different candidate. But I want to share with you kind of the eight or nine factors that are deeply valuable to me and how I think they will help a, a presidential candidate beat Donald Trump. But what I really want you to do is to hear the eight or nine things that are valuable to me and ask yourself, what are the eight or nine things or 10 things or five things? What are the things that matter most to you in a presidential candidate? So we're going to unpack and explain these things together. And we'll just go down the list because I have people ask me all the time, Sean, what should I be looking for in a presidential candidate? And the truth is, these things could and should apply to candidates in all types of elections. All right, let's break it down. Break it down. So there are a whole lot of factors that I have in choosing a presidential candidate. But this first one is probably the most near and dear to my heart. Several of them are essential for me, but this first one is essential. I want to know what have the presidential candidates been fighting for over the course of their entire political lives? Because here's the thing. You can go to every presidential campaign website right now, and know, I've been to them, all of them. Those websites are amazing, all right? Like, each one of those candidates, you go to their website, and you're like, holy crap, I'm voting for this person. Because on each website, they believe in everything good and everything awesome, and they've been awesome since birth, and every policy they have is completely amazing. And you, you have to take a step back and realize these campaign websites, 
even their social media feeds, even their campaign speeches, those are brochures, all right? Those are commercials. They may be rooted in some level of truth, but the clearest way you can know, I mean really know what a presidential candidate actually stands for, is not what's on their website. It's not what's in their campaign speech. It's, it's not what they tweet about or post on Instagram story. The true way for you to understand what a candidate really cares about is what they've been fighting for over the course of their entire political lives. Like here's a, here is probably the best, truest, smartest way to know what a presidential candidate cares about. What were they fighting for before they were ever running for president? I mean, you have to go back several years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. None of the candidates are so young that you don't have an opportunity to actually look at their life of leadership. Go back just 10 years ago and say, what were they fighting for? What was Elizabeth Warren fighting for? What was Bernie Sanders fighting for? What was Mayor Peter, Julian Castro? What were they fighting for 10 years ago? Because that's probably what was Beto fighting for 10 years ago. That's probably the best indication of what they really care about. Just go back five years ago. Just go back before this election cycle. And and for me, that whittles down the candidates a lot. Like right now, there are nearly 25 presidential candidates. But when you just ask yourself the question, what were they fighting for before they ran for office? All of a sudden, you can eliminate, and I want to be fair here, you can eliminate maybe two-thirds of the candidates. Two-thirds of the candidates were not fighting for justice reform five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. They were not fighting for the environment. They were not fighting for health care. They were not fighting for the things that are now essential to people. They were not fighting for equal pay, for fair pay, for workers' rights. You can eliminate, literally, of the 25 or so candidates, you can eliminate probably 18 of them just by saying, what were they actually fighting for a few years ago? And to me... That's the great equalizer, because I want to support a candidate who believes so much in the things they now say they care about that they were fighting for them long before this race began. Like there are things I care about right now. I'm not I'm not I'm I'm speaking about myself, literally, actually. There are things I care about so much. And all you have to do is evaluate my actual life. I'm not running for office. You can just look at my life to see what I care about. And when you look at most of the presidential candidates, when you look at their lives before they were running, it's really, really hard to tell what they cared about before they were running for office. That doesn't apply to maybe five or six of them. And to me, that's most important. All right. Break, break it, break it down. This next point for me may be as important as the first one. And I'm trying to scream it as loud as I can, you know, say it with bold print on social media. And I want to say it here to you and I I want to communicate it audibly so you can kind of understand my passion with this issue. 
I think it's very, very important for us to be asking ourselves, who do young people love in this election? Who do the youth support? And I don't just mean, now this is a big deal for me, both of my daughters, uh, teenage daughters, this will be the first time they get to vote in a presidential election. And I am over the moon excited for me to have, for my family and I to have children who are able to participate in a democracy in this way. But I don't just mean who do 18-year-olds support, but I do mean that. Who do teenagers support? Who do college students support? Who do young adults in their 20s and even in their early 30s support? I'm not saying who everybody else supports is irrelevant, but here's what I know. And I have to say this over and over again. When you choose a candidate, when the Democratic Party chooses a candidate, if they choose a candidate other than the candidate preferred by the demographic of 18 to 35, that candidate is going to really, really struggle because they lose the youth vote. They lose the youth energy. Like, if you go all the way back to 2008, Barack Obama won for many reasons, and I've actually written about why he won and how he won. But when he first started running, it was not at all clear that he was going to win. In fact, he was behind Hillary Clinton. He was not at all ahead in the polls. And many of the leading politicians all over the country had actually endorsed Hillary Clinton. But young people in a major, major way got behind President Obama. And eventually, with the energy of young people fueling his campaign, and he talks about this to this very day, with the energy of young people behind him, that energy ended up growing and growing, and it was contagious. But when you choose the candidate that does not have that youth energy, the the youth volunteerism, the youth mobilization, the youthful zeal to campaign and knock on doors and make phone calls and send text messages and post memes all over social media, all of those things are valuable. And in 2016... Bernie Sanders actually got more votes from young people than Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton combined. The youth were with Bernie Sanders. But when Hillary Clinton won the nomination, the youth still voted by and large for Hillary Clinton. But that youthful excitement, that energy was gone. And you see that happen over and over again. When you choose against young people, in the presidential campaign, you put yourselves in a really bad position. Now, of course, again, I love Bernie Sanders and young people love Bernie Sanders, but there are other candidates that young people are rocking with and exploring and interested in. But when you choose the candidate that young people loathe, that's going to be a problem. I mean, it's going to be a significant problem come November of 2020. It's going to be a problem in the primaries. And in many ways, for me, it's going to hurt even down-ballot candidates because you want a youth movement to be behind the presidential candidate in 2020. And in so many ways, I think who the nominee ends up being is going to be 
who flinches? Will older voters say, you know what, I want to support who young people support? Or will young voters do something that I just don't see them doing? Will they say, hey, I'm going to support who older voters support? And, And so I just think it's going to be really, really important to evaluate who young people love in this race. Break it down. Break it down. Another thing that I really look at is I look at who the current movements, who do they support? And let me explain and unpack that. Right now, there are maybe a dozen different social movements going on, and they are deeply organized and incredibly motivated. And when I say deeply organized, they have chapters on hundreds of college campuses. They have chapters in all 50 states and every major city. They're holding rallies. They have phone numbers and email addresses and and mailing addresses. There are probably a dozen active social movements right now. And I am always very curious who the leaders of those movements and who do those movements who do they support? And I'm thinking about uh, the, the movement that's battling climate change. It, we could maybe even call it the, the Green New Deal movement. But there is this movement of climate activists, and they are deeply, deeply motivated to use their energy and, and, and really put their lives on the line, not just for this presidential campaign, but to reverse the problems of climate change. So I'm curious, who are they supporting? There is a major battle all over the country and nurses and doctors and activists and organizers are behind it for Medicare for all, supporting universal single payer health care in the United States. As you may know, the United States is really the only developed nation in the world that does not currently have universal health care. And so this is not something radical or weird that people are promoting. They, they have it in literally every developed country. But the movement for it it is a movement of deeply committed, passionate people. Well, who are they supporting? There is a fight right now going on in every city in the country for a $15 minimum wage. We call it the fight for 15. And it is with tens of thousands, literally hundreds of thousands of workers, fast food workers, of, of grocery workers, of minimum wage workers around the country, which make up literally millions and millions of voters of of everyday people. And there's this huge movement of people fighting for a $15 minimum wage. Who, Who are they with? Of course, there is a criminal justice reform movement. There's the Black Lives Matter movement. And who do leaders from that movement who do they most identify with? Whose policies do they rock with? Do, do they believe in? Whose character do they trust? There is, of course, uh, an immigration reform movement or an immigrant rights movement going on right now of people not only trying to protect refugees at the border, but to protect dreamers and DACA recipients and just to protect the rights of immigrants in this country. And again, they are among the most passionate, deeply committed activists and organizers in the country. Who are they supporting? There's the Me Too movement that's asking essential questions about 
equality and safety and security, equity for women in this country, dealing not just with sexual violence, but sexual harassment and equal pay to say, listen, the the mistreatment of women in this country and around the world is not okay. And because of the way systems of power work, women have often been forced into silence and women and and their allies are saying, no, not anymore. We're not we're not playing that game. Who do who does the Me Too movement support? And I don't mean just one candidate, but which candidates have values that best align themselves with the Me Too movement? There's the gun reform movement. You see what I'm saying? There are all of these movements and there are two ways to look at this. And I look at I look at it from both angles. The first is, please, please do not choose a candidate who is in opposition to all of these movements. And there are multiple candidates who don't identify with any of these movements at all. I don't know that there's any single candidate that would basically be endorsed and supported wholeheartedly by every movement out there. But there are multiple candidates that these movements identify with. And for me, it's important to support a candidate that already has energy from active movements that are doing the work now. But it would be a grave mistake to choose a candidate that stands in opposition to all or almost all of these movements. It'd be a huge mistake. Break, break it down. The next thing that I really think about is whether or not a candidate can win the Electoral College. Now, that's tricky because it's hard to say today who can win the Electoral College. But Here's another way of looking at it. Donald Trump in 2016, we can talk all we want about how he did not win the popular vote. That's really because he got blown out in California and New York. Okay, and, you know, that's the current system. You don't win the election when you win the popular vote. And it's it's it is now popular to say he didn't win the popular vote, but that's not how you win. You win by winning the Electoral College and Donald Trump won 30 states in the Electoral College. It wasn't a blowout. I mean, there have been, you know, bigger margins of victory. But when you win 30 states, you're going to win. And he won 30 states. And so what I want to know is, does a candidate who's running, do they have real support right now? Like, I don't mean can we concoct support in a hurry once the race against Trump starts. I mean, do they have support right now in at least 30 states? And that, again, whittles the, the, the race down in a significant way. Because right now, Trump absolutely has support in 30 states. Like, I think if the election were held today, say we we picked any one of the nominees. I know for sure that Trump, I've studied the numbers. Trump would absolutely win in 25 states. The other five that he would need to win, he is leading or is close in those states. And that's disturbing. So we need a candidate to defeat Trump that can win the Electoral College. And 
They're going to have to compete. Really, hopefully they will compete and fight in all 50 states. But they're going to need to win in the Electoral College. And, it, it you know, it is a there's a degree of speculation involved in this. But some candidates actually have roots and history and and have supporters and followers in huge numbers all over the country. And others are almost ghosts around the country where they have no base of support in many of the states that they would need to win. And that concerns me deeply. And so I, I think the traditional rules of presidential campaigns in some ways just don't apply against Donald Trump. And we just have to ask ourselves, who can beat him in 30 states? Who can fight from coast to coast, also in middle America, not just on the coast, but all over the country? Who can fight against him and win? Break it down. This race is going to be very expensive. Uh, Probably, not probably, it will undoubtedly be the most expensive presidential race in the history of this country. And I and I know that the presidential races will always be expensive moving forward. I don't know that any will be as expensive as this one. And I have a real question, like, which candidates have a base of donors that can fund a very expensive fight against Donald Trump? Fundraising is not easy. It's actually incredibly difficult. I've been a fundraiser my entire life. Part of the reason I'm good at it now in 2019 is because I've been doing it for almost 20 years. I've been raising money online and offline for most of my adult life. And it took me that long not only to know how to do it, but to build a base of donors and supporters who would rock with me and go with me wherever I go. And to defeat Donald Trump, it's going to be incredibly expensive. And one of the things that I'm just curious about is, which candidates have a large enough base of donors that can fund a very expensive fight against Donald Trump? It matters. Break it down. Anybody who discounts this next one doesn't have their finger on the pulse of what's happening right now. A big question that I have is which candidates can do large, exciting events that build local momentum for voters? And anybody who discounts these large events is foolish because they are the foundation of Donald Trump's success. He is using he is using large, exciting. And listen, I'm not judging the quality of his message, but I, when I say exciting, I mean large, high energy, arena style events to build major momentum on the local level. When Donald Trump does his local events and rallies, it gets tens of thousands of people involved on the local level. And those people, they they not only vote, but they bring out everybody they know to vote. You know, Dave Chappelle tell, it's not really a joke, it's it's a story. He tells a story about how when He went to vote. He lives in rural Ohio. When he went to vote in 2016, 
he said it immediately reminded him of when he went to vote in 2008. He said when he went to vote in 2008, literally there was a line around the block of people who could not wait to vote for Barack Obama. And he wasn't joking. He said when he went to vote in 2016, he said there were the parking lot was full of pickup trucks. And it sounds hilarious, but he, I mean, he was telling the, the honest truth. And he said there was a line wrapped around the building of people who were there to vote for Donald Trump because Donald Trump energizes his base with huge local events. I think there are a few candidates who can do those local events that are large, high energy and rally people together. Right now, there are a few candidates Even Mayor Pete is doing great events. Elizabeth Warren is doing great local events. Bernie Sanders, of course, is doing great local events. But you have to have Kamala Harris is doing great local events. You have to have high energy, large events that engage voters in an exciting way to really get the base moving. And if you don't have that, I I am concerned because they energize voters and Donald Trump is evidence of that. And and anybody who says, hey, these large local events don't matter. They don't understand what's going on right now. Break break it down. This sounds basic, but it's it's not nearly as basic as it looks at first glance. I really want to know. Do the candidates contrast well against Donald Trump are do they have are their strengths his weaknesses do when he or when he has horrible weaknesses do we have candidates who share those weaknesses I don't want that at all like I think this candidate needs to be someone who is just altogether different than Donald Trump in style in substance I just don't believe not at all that any candidate is going to beat Donald Trump playing his games. That is a losing strategy because I actually believe that Donald Trump is amazingly gifted at being Donald Trump. Like he knows how to do what he does. He has a few, a few skills and uses them really well. One of them is being offensive, being a name caller. And and when I see a candidate trying to deal with him on that level, I, I reject that. Like, that's not going to be a game you win. And I've seen a couple candidates try to dibble-dabble in that. You're going to lose every time. Be different than him. Be a contrast to him. Be substantively better than him on policy, on character, on integrity, uh, on treatment of women, on treatment of the issues, be it it with immigrants or Muslims, uh, whatever the issue is on issues of war and peace, on issues of, of caring for working people. But you need to contrast well with Donald Trump to be able to win. Break it down. And I'll close on this final issue. For me and anybody who knows me, and if you're listening to the podcast, obviously you do know me. Uh, Nothing is more important than where somebody stands on the issue of criminal justice reform. And and I really want to know, like, what's your plan? And not just what's your plan. How well do you know it? 
Like, I, I, it's it can be cool for somebody to craft that plan and throw it up on your website, and I've seen that done before. But I want to challenge the candidates. So, like, how well do you know the problems of the justice system? And have you internalized the solutions? Did you write them? Did you craft them? And for you, you may say, well, Sean, justice reform is not my issue. What I'm trying to get at here is I have an issue, and my issue is justice reform, and I evaluate all of the candidates on where they stand on that issue. And I want you to do the same on your issue. Your issue may be justice reform, but it may be climate change. It may be equal pay. It may be health care. Whatever your issue is, evaluate each of the candidates on that issue. You know, search YouTube, you know, search Google to find out what they've said and and see, particularly over these next few months, see if there's a way for you to speak even to somebody in the campaign to really get to the heart of where they stand on gun reform or whatever your issue may be. So for me, it's justice reform. And there are several good candidates on this issue and a lot of really bad ones. And so I was able to kind of whittle down who I would support by going through all of these questions that I was asking myself, like, you know, what have they been fighting for their entire political lives? Who do young people like? Who do the movements support? Can they win the Electoral College? You know, all those things matter to me. But what I am really saying to you is don't just choose based on how somebody looks or how they sound or don't just choose based on where the polls are today because the polls will be different in a month or in three months. Choose based on some factors that really matter. You can use the things that I've shared with you today or you can create your own. But I really want you to make an intelligent, informed, confident decision. Then go for it. Endorse a candidate. Go public with it. Contribute to their campaign. Volunteer for them. And do it knowing that in this time that we're in, in 2019 and 2020, that you decided to fully participate in your democracy. And that you weren't going to be a fly on the wall You weren't going to allow the system or society or media or special interests to choose somebody for you. You got involved to choose a candidate and fight for them yourselves. Good luck, everybody. It's an exciting process. I try not to be overtly political in who I support. And I want to give you the tools to make informed decisions for yourself. And I have I have I know many of the candidates who are running. Many of them I. I I know well and would call them my friends. And I have close friends who are working on many different campaigns. And so I just want you to be deeply committed and deeply involved and go for it and give it your all. Take care, everybody. Break it down. Break it down. Break it down. Ooh, break it down. Ooh, break it down.